Hi, and welcome to Film Forums. I'm Richard Williams, creator of this platform, a place dedicated to the filmmaking community. We interview members of the film industry to find out what it really takes to make a movie, bring a script to screen, or secure their acting role. If that sounds good to you, please subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us on your favourite podcasting platform so you can be the first to know when an episode drops. We'd really appreciate it if you'd like and share this episode if you get value from this content. Thank you. This is my boyfriend, John. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. I hope you don't mind that I'm here. It's important to me that you're okay with this. I'm happy for you guys. You're kind of a a weird dude. I guess I am. But I mean, weird is cool, right? I saw you walk into the lake towards his light. I'm pretty dry. I love him so, so much. Welcome to Film Forums. Thank you so, so much for speaking to me today about uh, yourself and about your film. I really appreciate it. Um, Could you introduce yourself, please? Sure. I'm Braden. I'm a filmmaker, a writer-director from the U.S. Started out growing up kind of as a, a hockey player and being really into sports. I finally found film in college through a film theory class and eventually ended up at USC Film School, uh, where I ultimately got into production. Cool. That leads me nicely, actually, onto my next question, um, which is quite a long one, actually, so do bear with me. You've had the benefit of a comprehensive film education. You became the first film major at the University of Vermont to win the coveted uh, Duggan Folly Award, and you also earned the Thomas B. Bush Cinematography Scholarship at USC. So can you explain to us the value of going to film school, if you want to call it film school as a general term, and some of the biggest takeaways from that academic experience? And do you think that you would have got to where you are now, regardless of that? So if you hadn't gone through an academic route and done so well there, would you still have got to where you are now, do you think? Wow, that's a great question. I'd like to think that it was necessary. I did need to do all of this. I think I value some things more than others. Like I said before, I grew up playing hockey, really only caring about sports. I did academics, but it wasn't something I really committed to throughout high school. But then when I went to college, I took a film theory class just because I thought it'd be fun. You know, history of film. Okay, cool. I get to watch movies and talk about them. And my professor, Todd McGowan, who I'm still in touch with this day, just made me fall in love with the material. He was just so charismatic, so interesting, so fantastic. And from that point on, for the next four years, I learned so many things. I watched so many movies from French New Wave, Italian Reconstructionism, like all these different styles of filmmaking. We even watched some really incredible experimental films that were done by uh, filmmakers who would literally scratch the film and paste things onto it to create an image. There was so much stuff that I got introduced through film theory that I think what it did is it taught me the language of film. It taught me how to speak in film. And as a result, I had the foundation to be a good filmmaker. And then when I went to USC, which is more for production, I had that language in my head, but I didn't know the practical way of creating it. I didn't know the X's and O's to it. USC really brought that together in the sense where I picked up a camera for the first time and I shot it. I knew what I wanted to capture in my head, but I didn't necessarily know how to physically capture it with the camera. So you hadn't picked up a camera kind of before that then not, at all? Not, not really. You remember the little tape of video things that people were Handicam doing? sort of thing, yeah. Or HD, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of my own really experience with the camera. Okay. And I got to USC and I just completely dove in from day one. They were just, you know, automatically you were shooting stuff. And it was funny because I was picked out as kind of a cinematographer in the school. And I think part of that was because of my film theory background. 
So USC taught the production, film theory, University of Vermont taught me the the foundation, the language. And I think another thing that USC taught me well is how to deal and work with and motivate and inspire and redirect actors. I think that's such an underrated quality of a director's job is to maintain the performance of a film. And I didn't even know that that was a job for directors until I went to USC <laughs> because at, in film theory, we talk about the image so much that we spend a little less time on performance, you know? Right. It's interesting. Um, so that was a big learning experience. I think the biggest value I have, so from UV, I think the biggest value I had was the language, but from USC was the physical production of things, which you could have learned just from doing it, or you could have just kind of taught yourself, but also the people that I surrounded myself with. One of the reasons that What Lies Below came about was because one of my best friends from USC, I met up with him, I shared the script, and he sent it to a producer from USC who loved it, who sent it to one of his producers who loved it. And then, you know, the ball gets rolling. So when you go to a very top tier film school, a really good film school, you end up working with really talented people that are very passionate about the craft. And as a result, that's in itself a commodity that I think is underrated and probably one of the best. It's not necessarily the people that have already graduated. Like I'm not going to reach out to Steven Spielberg anytime soon just because he is involved with USC. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the people I came up with, the people that I worked with and I worked on their film set and they worked on my film set back at USC, I'm still in touch with them. And that in itself is an incredible wealth to have at your disposal when trying to make movies. It sounds a little bit like what we're trying to achieve here at Film Forum is without sounding at all pretentious. And clearly we're not at your level, but most of us on the Film Forum's team now are indeed aspiring filmmakers and we're interviewing more and more people and making connections. And who knows where that will lead? It may not lead anywhere, but I suspect it will. So similar kind of networking experience for us as well. So now that's really good to hear. Networking full stop is obviously a, a great thing. If it leads to collaboration. I almost like hate the term networking because it makes it feel shallow. Like you just need to develop really good friendships. You know, 100%. you have to have, you know, you have to have people that you really trust. I mean, I know a ton of people that are in film, but there's five or six people that I will go to battle with on a film set any day of the week. And those are the ones that you really have to hold on to because they're really special and they're always going to genuinely support you. So yeah, network. Absolutely. But find your core group. I think for people that are listening, find those four or five people that get you, you get them, you work well together. Even if you argue, that's great. Like argue is good. Different opinions are good, but just make sure you trust people and they work hard and you work hard for them kind of thing. I think that's a really good point. Um, you alluded to your latest film. So let's talk about that. Can you tell us what your latest movie, What Lies Below is about? And have you always been into the horror genre? Yeah. So uh, What Lies Below is a film about a 16-year-old girl who comes home from her typical summer vacation at camp to realize that her mom has met a guy. And the guy is kind of an Adonis. He's just this incredibly good-looking, handsome, charming man. For the first time in her life, there's a little bit of a sexual awakening in her. And things start to get awkward. And then one night in the middle of the night, she wakes up to this bright light in the backyard and she looks out the back window and she sees the man basking in the light. And then all of a sudden he just starts walking towards the light into the light. So the rest of the film is really a mystery. Who is this man? What's the light? What's going on? All these things. It is very much a horror film. It's very much a thriller, but at its core, I, I think it's a mystery. And that's what I love about it. I've always been into horror. I think it was James Wan who said, this thing that's special about horror is if the audience, it's very difficult to make because if the audience sees the seams, they're not scared. So if, if they see the mechanism of the camera, they're not scared. And I also have always had personally this kind of morbid fascination with death. 
Even when I was five years old, I still remember I was so scared of death as five or six years old that my parents had to buy me a book that explained death to me just to kind of understand that it was just process of life and that it happens very late in life. It's not a big deal. And the book really didn't help, but I eventually got over the fear as a kid, but it kind of manifests itself in different ways now as an adult. And so I'm always fascinated by stories that tell life or death struggle, things that you don't know if the characters are going to survive this because to me, that's life. Life and death is the ultimate challenge. It's We're slowly dying throughout our life and we're trying to avoid it and prolong it as much as possible. And so it kind of brings that to the forefront. I love stories that have that drive. So that's why horror is just such a great ballpark, the big perfect story genre for that. Yeah, absolutely. I would say with yours that I watched today, it certainly seems a more of a unique take on a horror that I've seen for quite a while without putting any spoilers in some of the things, some of the devices you put in there. Um, yeah, really impressive. And I haven't seen anything quite like it before, especially towards the end. And again, I will not spoil it. So yeah, I definitely implore people to watch it. Um, it builds awesome. uh, very, very nicely towards uh, the ending and it isn't a typical ending, I would say. So that's really, really cool. Thank you. Yeah, that's no, you're welcome. What challenges did you face during filming, especially with the scenes on the water, if we're allowed to mention that? Yeah. Oh, man, there's so many. It's an indie film. We had a tight schedule. It was originally scheduled for 20 days because of some of those issues. It ended up being 19 days. And there's so many things that are part of film. I think one thing that's most important to realize is what's the most expensive thing on a film set? A lot of people don't realize what it is. It's labor. It's people, right? To get those people, to get talented people on set working on your film, that costs the most amount of money. So anytime you lose time on a film set, you are costing yourself money. And that's such an important thing to realize when young filmmakers are writing something, they need to do stuff that can be happening in the shortest amount of time, that they can shoot in the shortest amount of time. So minimal locations, minimal actors, et cetera, right? But as an example of how badly this can go wrong, the light in the lake scene, we had to rent a 4,000 watt light. There was some debate about whether 2,000 was enough or 4,000 was enough and 4,000 still didn't end up being enough. So we were actually wrong. We still needed even more than 4,000, but we couldn't get it. So it was never as bright as I had in my head. But needless to say, when we put the light in, a screw on the casing broke, okay? And so the light kept falling apart as a result, falling over in the water. Our gaffer and our grip took three hours to try to figure out a solution to fix this screw. So the entire set is waiting for a small group of people to try to figure out this one screw. This is the problem. And so we're talking about, you know, you don't know how many man hours and woman hours and, and, and people hours and all over a single screw. So it just shows you how fundamental things like that are, like how important it is to not lose time, to never, ever lose time. Yeah. And that's why they always say on film set, if you're on time, you're 15 minutes late because you just have to be on it. Yeah, absolutely. I guess you'll never forget the experience. No, of how, many, was, how, many, was, how many crew members does it take to, uh, to fix a, a light? Fix a screw. Yeah, fix, fix a screw, a yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, when is the movie released and where will it be available uh, distributed to? So I'm not 100% sure about the UK, unfortunately. Uh, well, that's okay. I, I mean, I, our, our audience is worldwide and we've got uh, okay, US, US and UK very much. So I know in Germany, it's December 17th because my family's originally from Germany. So I have a lot of family members over there. And I also have part of my family from the UK originally. But in the US, it's released on December 4th and it'll be on video on demand. It'll be on the section in theaters now because there might be a small theatrical release to go with it, depending on COVID, of course. Mm -hmm. So that's the best way to get to it. 
Um, what advice would you give to budding filmmakers and what do you wish you'd been told before you embarked on a filmmaking journey? Yeah. Uh, so two things. One is if you can write and even if you can't, you should, but if you can't write, like if you can write, because that's the only thing that doesn't cost any money that nobody can take away from you that you can always do. And there's value in a script. A script has value. A feature script has value. So you're always committing to something that actually has value. And don't ever get hung up on one script either. Once you finish one and you're pretty happy with it, move on, write another one, write another one, write another one. While you're trying to get one made, write another. While you're trying to get the other one made, write another. Because you never know which one is going to click. I was actually really far down the road with another script when I was writing Viscous, which became What Lies Below. And when somebody read What Lies Below, it just all of a sudden everything shifted, right? And that's the way it is. You just never know what's going to click with people, you know? And then the other piece of advice is write cheap. Nobody is ever going to give you $4 million, $2 million, $5 million to do your first feature, okay? You need to write something so cheap that you could do it yourself, but you would like to have the money, right? Like you could literally do it on the weekends with a credit card and your friends, you know, if you had to. And just go out and do it because then you don't have to wait for anybody to say, yes, you're good. You can do this, right? You can do it yourself. And then if you're fortunate enough to actually make a connection where somebody finances it, great. And if not, you can still make the movie because it's cheap to make, right? Yeah. No, that's great advice. Actually, I don't think anyone, I've interviewed over 30 filmmakers now for this and Aisha's done similar. And this little bit may not make the edit because we're just talking now really, but, um, and no one's actually said that. No one's actually spelled that out, which is really obvious, yeah. but it's a really good bit of advice. So thank you I for mean, that. I yeah. mean, if you look at a lot of recent filmmakers that have come up, a lot of them started out making like 40,000, 20,000, uh, this is USD now, $50,000 first features. One of my buddies who's now making this major $20 million studio film started out with a $40,000 horror film in a motel. He just shot it with like friends and a little uh, Canon 7D. And then he made some money off of that and he made another one for 50,000. He made some money off that and he made one for $100,000 and he made some money off that. And he just kept building it until he kind of had a name and he got noticed. Yeah, very small. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and so, I mean, the low budget feature is the new short film, in my opinion. And mm -hmm. so if you can go make low budget feature, go do it. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. And the last question really is the obvious one. Um, what's next for you? Obviously, uh, you'll be pushing your current movie and rightly so. But beyond that, and maybe beyond coronavirus, who knows? Um, what's next for you? What's in your future? You know, as I said two seconds ago, I'm always writing. You can see in the back, I'm outlining a script right now. I have a lot of other scripts that I have. I have a, uh, a Russian mafia thriller called The Close and Holy Darkness. I have a sci-fi horror psychological thriller called Mold. I have a historical horror film called Nestrone set in the Viking Age. So I have a ton of scripts and my hope is that when the movie comes out, you know, you get some traction, you get people excited about you and your work, and then you can send those scripts out and try to get some interest and try to get something going. A lot of this industry is just momentum. You know, it's who's hot you know, yeah. so to speak. And so I'm just hoping to have some momentum out of this and then I'll hopefully go right into another feature. Cool. I noticed the post-it notes behind you straight away. Is Just out of interest, is that one like a uh, story or is that a multiple narratives you've got going on there in terms of- that's one, that's one script. So it's one script. And what I do when I'm, part of my process is I do a lot of research on the topic. I watch a lot of reference films. I read a lot of books. And then 
while I'm doing that, I take notes, anything that makes me interested, any quote I think of, any character I think of, any scene that I think of, I just write it down. And then I write up what a basic outline would be. And I try to put those notes into the spots. And I feel when you do it that way, it's a little bit more organic than when you try to figure out the scenes based on what the narrative should be, you know? So I'm kind of, you know, deconstructing it a little bit and it works for me. And every color has a different meaning for me and helps me organize my thoughts. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's one script. Yeah. It's, it's kind of old school because like everyone's on iPads and computers and that, that's great. And it's definitely got it. It serves its purpose. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you've got it old school on post-it notes, which I love. That's great. So that's really cool yeah. to see. And okay. It's good because you can shift things around and try things very easily, you know? Um, yeah, so no, absolutely. Well. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. No problem. Thank you so much, man.